Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888. Money Pit is presented by the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, Aero Fasteners, and Kohler Power. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, what are you guys doing? You getting ready for the holidays? Geez, Thanksgiving is almost here, man. I can't believe it. And then, you know, holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, you name it. This is just such a busy time of the year for us personally, you know, let alone trying to get our house ready for maybe any guests that are going to be stopping by. But if you got a project that you absolutely positively have to get done, you're kind of stuck on or need some tips to move it along, that's a great topic for us today. So give us a call at one eight 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 money bit or really any project you want to do now, you want to plan for next year, we'd be happy to help because that's what we do. We've been answering questions from folks just like you for, oh, I hate to admit it, but over 20 years. <laughs> it's been a long time. Because this is episode 2258, 2258. And gosh, I just, I'm so happy to have this job, Leslie, because otherwise I'd have to do like a real job. And, you know, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> I just want to hang out and talk and fix stuff. And, you know, I was just talking to Jim, our editor, and he's like, how's it going? I'm like, yeah, I just moved eight yards of topsoil and a wheelbarrow. Oh, it sucked. How <laughs> old I get? Heavier stuff gets. And you know, it's just kind of what we do. We live this stuff, right? And so we love talking about it. I mean, it's awesomely fun. And it is awesomely fun. So, hey, let us help you with your projects because we got some uh, we got some experience in this space. Anyway, coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about fireplaces. Here's a really surprising stat. Fireplaces account for almost half of all home heating fires. It's a big number, especially considering on how little they're used compared to, say, your heating system, right? So we're going to share some tips on how to make sure your fireplace is both toasty and safe. And if you're looking for ways to save money on your energy bills, try looking for the right window treatments to reduce your heat loss. We're going to share three excellent options. And if you're lucky enough to have a sprinkler system for your lawn, now is definitely the time that that system needs to be winterized. If it's not done yet, uh, you got you got to get it done. You don't want to see what happens when it's not. Trust me, it's not pretty. It's happened to me once, and it's a real mess. So we'll explain what needs to happen and to avoid that frozen mess just ahead. But first, you've got home improvement questions, and you don't know where to turn for answers? Well, you turn to us. We can help you save some money, save time, and avoid some home improvement hassles that will just slow you down on the road to your dream house. So don't forget, you got to reach out to us. We can't call you. The number here is one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. I'll tell you the easy way to get in touch with us is just to go to our website, click on the blue microphone button. It's on like every page, uh, and record your question. 
This way we can get back to you the next time we're in the studio. So let's get started. Leslie, who's first? Dan in Missouri, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Uh, I have a back porch that I turned into a, a salon and for my wife, and um, it was never insulated out there, and I've insulated the walls and ceiling, and uh, I need a way to insulate the floors, and what it is, it's, it's about a foot off the ground at the front of it, and maybe a foot and a half at the back of it, and there's not really a good way to crawl under there and try to insulate. I've wondered the best way to try to insulate that to keep the pipes from freezing. Yeah, that's going to be difficult because you have no access to that space. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd be able to get under there and push some fiberglass bats un- underneath the floor, but you can't do that. Now, what kind of flooring is down from the top side? Is there any way you can remove that floor and insulate and then reinstall it? Uh, no, not without great difficulties. It's It's got old 2 by 6 um, flooring with uh, heating on top of that, and then I've got a laminate-type flooring on top of that. Mm, so it's the flooring is finished, too, correct? Yes, yes. I don't have a good solution for you because you have no access to that space. Very, very little access around the edges. I mean, I yeah. can get to the edges and insulate around the outside, but I wouldn't even know. If you could get creative and get those insulation bats up and, you know, pressed up onto that floor, you know, that's going to help, but it's very difficult. You know, one thing you could also consider doing is spray foam insulation. Uh, a spray foam pro might, might be able to get the tools back down to the nooks and crannies of that floor space to be able to foam it and sort of work their way out. Spray foam, you spray it and it expands. There's a very significant expansion ratio of maybe 100 to 1 or so. So they put a thin coating on the other side of the floor. It will, like, fill up to, like, 8 inches or 10 inches thick. So that's a possibility, but again, it's tricky. And I got I ran plumbing and water, so I need to somehow... Well, if you ran the plumbing and the water, why didn't you insulate the pipes at the same time? Well, I was planning on... I thought there would be a way to insulate around the outside of it or insulate... I ran everything through a window through the basement to get out there, so I've got airflow through my basement. So if I could somehow insulate around the edges, I think it would, might keep it enough to... Right. You might you might want to dig out some of that crawl space, you know, create kind of like a Yankee basement there. Not not enough to, to uh, do anything more than crawl in there, but you may need to lower some of it to get access to that space and do all everything that you need to do. That's a problem when you convert spaces like that. You know, they're never they were never in, intended to be uh, to be a living space uh, when they were first constructed. So they're very challenging to work around, just like you're experiencing. Yeah, I'm finding that out. All right, thank you. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. All right, now we've got Anna on the line who needs some help with some door improvement. Tell us what you're working on. Hi. Yes, I have uh, one metal door and three fiberglass door. That I got, got, I got a guy to paint it, and not knowing, when I got home, he actually painted with a spray can paint. So when the, when the heat heats the door, I can't open the door because it's <laughs> oh boy. sticky to the, the door jam. What a mess. What a How mess. do I repair that? Well, you know, even though he painted it with spray paint, it should still work. I mean, it should dry. The fact that it's spray paint is not making it uh, any more or less tacky than perhaps if you use paint out of a gallon. Um, but the fact that it's sticking might mean that the door needs a bit of adjustment inside the opening. Are all the doors sticking? All the doors sticking right on the rubber of the door jam. It's like I think that it's a shushu can paint. Not, I'm like, you sprayed what to the door? What kind of paint did he use? He, I call it the shushu regular can paint. Like he went to the hardware a, a hardware store, got a, a spray can paint, and sprayed it. 
Well, look, what you should do now, if you've had uh, a bad paint job, is you really have to pull that old paint off. So I would take the doors off of the hinges, lay them down horizontally, use a paint remover to pull off the paint that's there. Once you get it back down to where it was where you started, then I would prime the doors first. And I would use an oil-based primer, because that's going to give you good adhesion to both the metal and the fiberglass doors. And then I would put a good top quality uh, finish coat on that using a semi-gloss paint. Then let them dry really well and then reinstall them. So I, is it possible then to, uh, this is on metal and fiberglass, to get a paint remover for this thing? Yes. There's paint removers. The citrus-based removers are the most effective. So use the citrus-based paint removers, pull off the old paint, prime the doors, and then repaint them. You should be good to go. Okay, Anna? Thank you so very much again. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 888- Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Now we've got David joining us here at Team Money Pit. He's got some brown paneling and needs a lot of help. What's going on? I inherited a house that was built back in the 70s, and I was wondering what to do with the original wooden dark brown paneling that's on the living room and kitchen dining room areas. We get a lot of calls just like this, don't we, Leslie, from folks that have paneling kind of stuck in the 70s paneling. And in this case, you know, generally your options are to either remove it if you can, assuming it's not glued to the walls, or paint it. What do you think? I mean, those really are your only two options. So it kind of depends on how much work you want to get into. Definitely don't try to fill any of those gaps and crevices that make it the paneling because it's not going to stay. <laughs> They're like, ooh, I'll make it look like a smooth wall. Uh-uh. No, you can't. No, no, that's not going to work. It's just going to fall out and be more frustrating. Um, I mean, painting the paneling looks fine, in my opinion. It's definitely that sort of clabbered look that you kind of get, but vertical instead of horizontal. Yeah, I think it comes down to budget because, I mean, everybody can paint, and you definitely got to prime it and put a couple of coats of finish on it. I would use, you know, something with like a matte finish. I wouldn't use anything with a sheen. And that's sort of the budget way to, you know, get rid of this and lighten the space up. In the best scenario, you're going to want to remove it. And sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's not. If it's glued to the wall, then you end up having to do a lot of drywall repair or putting another layer of drywall on, which really drives up the cost. So maybe you could do a little exploratory surgery and see how hard it is to take that off. You know, find an area where maybe you can pry it off a little bit of the seam and see if there's any glue under there. If there's no glue, then you can probably take it off. You have to fill the nail holes, but that's not such a bad deal. But if not, what you could do is paint it. You know, just live with it for a little while, and then maybe in the future you can go ahead and tear it off. 
when you have a bigger budget to take care of, you know, making sure those walls are properly restored. Yeah. Either way, figure out what you're going to do. You're definitely going to transform the space. Even if it's just with the paint, it's going to feel a lot brighter. It's not the lighting. It's the dark paneling. I promise you it's going to feel a lot brighter once you do that. Well, fireplaces are definitely great for ambiance, but they can also be great for cutting your home heating bills. And you know what, guys? If you're not taking care of them, they can do more harm than good. Now, according to the National Fire Protection Association, fireplaces account for almost half of all home heating fires. And that's a huge number considering how little that you use them compared to your heating system that you use every day. Yeah, and because of that, this is one area of the house that really needs careful and consistent maintenance so it operates safely. Now, the first step is to hire a chimney sweep. A chimney sweep's cleaning and inspection is really critical to making sure the fireplace is safe. It ought to be done once a year, at least once for every quart of wood that you burn. And generally, right before the winter is a good time to do that. Besides sweeping the chimney, a good sweep is going to also make sure the structure is intact. But you can do this, too, from the ground up and very carefully from the roof. You can glance around your chimney for cracks, for loose bricks, for missing mortar. You know, even one storm can cause damage. So just keep an eye on that structure and make sure it looks good. But, you know, for all the value a good chimney sweep brings, I have to say... Leslie, proceed with caution, right? I mean, chimney sweeping is an area, it's an industry that's really ripe with, how should we say, questionable sales practices. You know, you got a problem (laughs) and I'm just the guy to fix it for you kind of people. So make sure the pro you hire is certified through the Chimney Safety Institute of America. And listen, if a chimney sweep says you got some, uh, you know, terrible, horrible, you know, panic peddling kind of explanation on what's wrong, get a second opinion, even if it costs you a few bucks, because... Sometimes these sweeps will try to turn small problems into really big money makers for themselves. And I hate to have to say that, but it's just, yeah, it's, it's an industry that just has that reputation. Just proceed carefully. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have it done. Just means be aware. Yeah. And you know what? I think it's super important when you go to the store and you pick up some firewood or perhaps you're, you know, harvesting wood around your property. It's super important what type of wood you use in your fireplace. I mean, the type you burn makes a difference. So you want to only burn seasoned wood. Now, that means it should be dried out for at least six months before you use it in the fireplace. And that's long enough and dry enough to produce a hollow sound when you toss it against another piece of wood. You know that sound when you're sort of piling up all the firewood at a campsite or throwing something in the fireplace? It makes that definite like... It's hollow, like when I bump my head. Hollow. Yeah. (laughs) But it definitely makes like a distinct sound. Now, if you use wood that has not been seasoned, what can happen is it can have a buildup of creosote, and creosote is very, very combustible. And you'll see the creosote is sort of a blackish-brown kind of tar-like substance, and it sticks to the inside of the flue. And what happens is too much of it starts to build up. It's super flammable. It can cause a fire, and a fire in a chimney is so dangerous. So you really have to make sure that the chimney is kept very, very clean. Now, one last thing. We talked a lot about the maintenance of wood-burning fireplaces here, but wood stoves or even gas fireplace maintenance rules apply. You need to service them annually to make sure they are operating safely. So don't skip that step because we want you guys to be safe. Cozy, but safe at the same time. Sylvia in Ohio was on the line and clearly spilled some glue somewhere. What's going on? No, I didn't spill glue. We have our carpet in our kitchen is glued down like 20 years ago. Did you say carpeting in your kitchen? Yes, they use glue to put the carpet down. Uh, my question is, how do we get it off the floor without 
tearing the whole floor out. What kind of flooring uh, was it glued over? Is it hardwood? No, just... Um, Plywood? Yes, uh-huh. Some sort of a subfloor? So really, you don't have to get it completely off. You just have to kind of get it smooth. So you can put whatever kind of flooring down you want to do over that. What kind of flooring do you want to uh, end up with, Sylvia? We want to put hardwood over it or on it. So um, what you should do is get a citrus adhesive remover. There's a number of different citrus adhesive, citrus-based adhesive removers. They're not as caustic as some of the other adhesive removers. And what it will do is soften that adhesive. And you, your goal here is just to get any of the sort of the thicker, uh, chunkier areas removed so that what you could do is put down another uh, layer of plywood, an underlayment of plywood, say like a quarter-inch Luan or something like that. Then on top of that, you can install your hardwood floor. There's lots of options with the hardwood floor. You can use engineered hardwood, which is thinner but very, very beautiful, and uh, it's more dimensionally stable, and it would be a, probably a better choice for a kitchen because if you put regular hardwood down and you ever had a, a big leak, spilled a pot of anything, um, it will swell up and become damaged. But if you use engineered it's uh, much more stable and resistant to uh, any type of swelling when it gets damp or wet. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Alfred, you've got the Money Pit. What can we do for you today? I've got a duplex. And um, I, I got this idea from truck stop restrooms, from the truck stop shower. I drive a truck. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, my question is, is, is in, in the showers that I've seen or the bathrooms I've seen, the floor covering goes up on the sides of, of the, um, uh, up to the wall, say about, about three or four inches, yeah. you know. So, like, if somebody spills water or something like that, it doesn't go down, uh, you know, in the floor or whatever. And because the problem I've had in, in my duplex 
is that, um, you know, somebody would run the bathtub over or something leak, and it goes down in my kitchen down below. Mm-hmm. And I'm redoing that bathroom, and I've seen, I've seen this, uh, this thing in, in, in the commercial bathrooms. And I was wondering if there's something that I can do similar. Yeah, like is it, is it like liquid epoxy? Yeah. So what they're doing in that situation is they're essentially taking the entire floor and turning it into a shower pan. You know how if you have a, a shower where you have like a tile pan, and the pan has the drain in it, and you step in the shower and the water falls on the floor, and then it runs in the drain. So think about that, but for the same size, the basically full width of the shower, it's of the bathroom itself. I've seen bathrooms in Europe that are done that way. I've seen some in the United States, but it's not too common. So, sure, it's entirely possible to do that, but it dramatically raises the cost um, of the bathroom build-out, which could be weighed against, you know, the occasional leak getting through. I mean, it's not a common occurrence for leaks to come through bathrooms, uh, so much so that I would recommend that everyone do that. But if you want to kind of go the extra mile and don't mind the expense and work, you certainly could build a shower pan that's the entire width of your bathroom. Oh, I got it. Is, is you have an idea what I could, what product I could use that, that does that? How would I actually do that? So shower pans can be made of lead. They can be made of fiberglass. They, they essentially have to be sort of molded in place, and then they're covered with tile. Okay, that's how it's done. I got you. I got you. It's like a pool. Think about if you're trying to build a pool. You know, it has to, the base itself has to be absolutely waterproof, and then the tile covers it. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, I definitely appreciate your uh, your time to answer my question. Thank you very much. Our pleasure, Alfred. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. He brings up a very good point that you can get ideas and inspiration no matter where you are. Here he is, a long haul trucker, and sees this kind of a shower set up uh, in uh, one of the establishments that he stopped in and, and is thinking about whether he can do it at home. Makes sense. Has the holiday decorating begun, Leslie, at your house? It sounds like it should. No, I can't do Christmas until Thanksgiving. But I promise you, the day after Thanksgiving, you will have Christmas. There you go. If you don't be between Leslie and a row of Christmas lights, because you're going to run over. (laughs) It's my favorite. What can I do? Hey, how would you guys like to win a whole workshop full of tools to take on your fall fix-up projects and more? You can when you enter the Money Pit's fantastic fall fix-up sweepstakes presented by Arrow. Yeah, this is amazing. Now, one grand prize winner is going to receive $750 worth of Arrow tools, including the pneumatic brad nailer, the T50 heavy-duty staple gun. I mean, so many awesome tools and staples. This is a great prize pack. We've also got five runner-up winners who will receive the Arrow Holiday Light Helper Prize Pack. That's worth 100 bucks. So we've got lots of stuff going out to folks for the holiday season from Arrow if you enter the sweepstakes. You can do that once a day at moneypit.com slash sweepstakes, where you can also earn bonus entries for additional chances to win. That's moneypit.com slash sweepstakes. Marlise is on the line with a slippery window question. What's going on in your money pit? My windows, I have two, and it's an add-on where you walk in, and they're probably about 7 feet long and 15 inches wide. They slid down, and the top has a 2-inch gap where the air is just coming in. They're not the type you open. I heard you could put suction cups and Try to pull them up or something. So these windows, you say these windows slide, but they're not the kind that open? Well, that doesn't make sense to me. No, they're, they're not meant to slide. Okay. They're just in the wood frame, and they slid down like two-inch gap where the air is coming in. Try to imagine what this looks like. 
The window's not meant to slide. Is this window meant to open at all? No. So it's a permanent solid pane that fits into a frame, and somehow it slipped out of the frame? Yeah, it, they both slid down, I guess, in, in the wall somehow, or, or down the frame. Is this a situation where the home is settling, do you think? Or is it just that this window sash has moved out of the frame that was holding it? It just slid down in the frame that was holding it. This is a good time for you to take a photo of this window and post it to the Money Pit's Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Money Pit so we can look at it and comment on it. However, if it's a static window that was held into a wood frame and it's absolutely not intended to move or open ever, then I don't see why you couldn't slide it back up from whence it came and secure it in place mechanically with uh, screws or nails or other types of fasteners or brace it in place or use a silicone caulk around the outside edge, which would have the same effect of holding it in place. As long as it's not designed to move whatsoever, uh, then it's just a mechanical matter of, of getting it back in place and securing it there uh, in a more permanent way. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Hey guys, did you know that the right window treatments can reduce heat loss by as much as 64%? That means adding style to your windows can keep your home comfortable and save you a lot of money on top of your energy bills, too. Here's a few options to consider if this is a project you would like to tackle. All right, now, cellular shades, guys, these are the most insulating. They've got a unique honeycomb shape, so it's sort of, you know, two outer edges and, like, open air pockets in the middle, and that traps the air to keep those outside temperatures outside. It kind of is a buffer between the cold window and the warm house. Now, you want to make sure you use the ones that are made with fabric because that resists crushing the most rather than those paper shades. And the shades come in different cell sizes that are going to provide different levels of insulation. So this way you can really choose what's best for your needs. And you're not limited to horizontal shades here because you can actually find the sort of honeycomb style in vertical shades too. So there's really an option for everybody. And some of them really look great and they'll work with all of your decor. So definitely take a look. We've got cellular shades on all of the windows downstairs in our house and I absolutely love them. They really do work very, very well. Now, another option is solar shades. They have a more modern look. They're great for managing heat and daylight and glare. Now, solar shades use technology that blocks the sun's rays from the outside while still allowing you to have views from the inside. There are sort of different levels of openness, and that's going to determine uh, how much of the shade you can actually see through, sort of the the uh, the view through capability. Now, a blackout option will prevent all light from transferring through the fabric. Semi-opaque allows minimal light, and sheer lets daylight filter right on through. Yeah, and because solar fabrics are engineered to save energy, they reduce heating costs, but they also maximize natural light, which means that you use less electricity for your interior lighting. And colors do matter because a darker color is going to absorb more solar radiation to save energy during the colder months. And lighter colors, on the other hand, reflect more solar radiation in the winter and make the most of natural light by allowing the daylight to kind of filter through the fabric. So it's really a personal choice there to kind of figure out what's going to work best for you. And of course, drapery, that's a really simple third option to help you increase your insulation. This is just an added layer that's going to give you more insulation to reduce heat loss. They can be super sophisticated or very stylized, whatever works great with your room. I mean, of course, you're closing them to help you insulate that window space better, but it's definitely a boost in decor and a boost in insulation. Carolyn, Rhode Island is on the line and needs some help with the exterior of her home. How can we help you? I have a 115-year-old Queen Anne Victorian. Twelve years ago, I replaced all the columns on the porch, and they're rotting out again. And they're finger-jointed columns, and I was told they were installed incorrectly. So 
I'd like to know the correct way to install them. Why were you told that they were installed incorrectly? Um, I was told that because the top was not sealed with some kind of flashing, that there was snow and rain getting in the top of the column, and it was rotting the column from the inside out. Well, that may or may not be the case. I mean, certainly you need to pay attention to uh, water control when you do a project like that. It's hard for me to imagine. Usually columns sit underneath an overhang. But if there was some aspect of it that was exposed, then maybe that could be the case. Another area to make sure um, you keep it you keep it off the ground is at the bottom of the column. We usually advise columns to be put on something called a post dog, which is like a plate that keeps it up uh, a half inch or an inch off of the off of the the floor or the slab, depending on how this is how this is built, so that you have uh, some room for the column to dry out and not collect water. But generally, anytime you have water that collects in an area, you are going to have rot. Now, replacing these columns is not a do-it-yourself project, so you need to proceed very carefully with this because those columns hold a lot of weight, and that weight has to be transferred while the repair is being made. So let me ask you this. I'm thinking now of replacing them with uh, the new fiberglass or composite columns, whatever they're made out of. And I was told by a friend of mine that I should still have some kind of a steel pole inserted in the middle to hold the weight of the porch? Yeah, it depends on the column. There there are those types of composite columns where there's essentially a metal uh, column, like a lolly column, that does all the work, the structural work, and then the decorative column kind of snaps around that. Oh, I didn't realize that. Because the composite itself may not be load-bearing. In fact, it would be unlikely for it to hold to handle almost any weight whatsoever. Thank you for the information and for confirming what my friend told me. He's not a carpenter, so I was questioning him. You tell him he's very smart. (laughs) Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Brad in Tennessee is on the line with a home that probably has the best practical joke already built into it. You flush the toilet, the shower gets cold. Why do you want to change that? (laughs) Well, because uh, my uh, four-year-old son... uh, Seems to think it's uh, more of a joke than it's uh, than it's a real thing. <laughs> than his parents. <laughs> yes, that that is the problem. All right. So the shower valve itself, right? Th- there's an easy solution to this. First of all, Brad, it, it's it requires you to change the shower valve into something called a pressure balanced valve. Now I know you don't have a pressure balanced valve because your your water temperature is changing when you draw off water, in this case by flushing the toilet. It would probably also happen if you ran other fixtures in the house, but it's because you have a differential a differential in the pressure, or the mix, as you say, between the hot and the cold. What a pressure balance valve does is it keeps that mix the same, regardless of what happens to either the cold water supply or the hot water supply. So you can have more or less of either temperature of water, but the, the ratio of the mix together doesn't change. You may get less pressure when you flush that toilet after this valve's in, in installed, but it won't be a shock, okay? It won't change the temperature dramatically. That's what a pressure-balanced valve does, and uh, it sounds like you don't have one, and that would be the solution. Excellent, excellent. Well, I will uh, run out and get one. <laughs> All right. It's a bit of a project. You may not be able to install it yourself. You know, it's pretty much have to replumb the the shower valve there. You may need a plumber to help you, but it definitely will, will solve this. Okay, well, excellent. At least I know where to start now and um, where the joke ends. All right, Brad. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit, and we are confident that your four-year-old will find something else equally amusing to uh, bother his parents with. I'm sure he will. Thank you so much, Scott. Well, sprinkler systems are a luxury that affords you a nice green lawn and garden all spring and summer. 
But if you live in a climate where you need to winterize that system, it's a job that you have to get done correctly, or you could be facing a big repair bill come springtime. Now, there's really three ways to winterize a sprinkler system. You've got manual, automatic, and blowout. And the first step in all cases, though, is turning off that water supply. Now, the manual is located usually at the low end of the low points of the sprinkler lines. To do this, you want to basically open the manual drain valves and allow the water to drain. And sometimes that water's still under a lot of pressure, and it will come out quickly at first. So be ready for that so you don't get a big splash in your face. Um, to drain out automatics, well, automatic systems have drain valves located at the end and the low points of the irrigation piping. They're going to automatically open and drain water if the pressure in the piping is less than 10 PSI. So to activate these, you basically just shut the irrigation water supply, and it kind of does it by itself. And then finally, uh, one that you have to pay a pro for is simply called a blowout. And even though I have... A little bit of both here. I like doing this every year because my pro comes in with a giant air compressor and forces all the air out of the lines to make sure they're removed. Because, you know, sprinkler lines actually can move over time, especially with frost heave. And sometimes you get these pockets that hold water. If they hold water and the soil freezes, which it's going to, uh, they're going to expand and break and crack and you get a big mess. So I kind of like knowing that all the water is totally blown out. So that's why I have mine blown out by a pro. And, and since we started doing that, we've never had an issue with uh, water being left behind, causing a break in the line. Yeah, and I always feel like if they come to do the blowout, they also have to check that backflow valve and like file a special permit for that, at least in my village. So that's why I always go with the pro for the blowout. So definitely important to do. And guys, if it's not done right, I mean, while it could be pretty, you might find yourself in your own version of the Frozen movie. So let's kind of <laughs> avoid that. Yeah, you know, by the way, the other important thing about having a pro do this is if springtime comes and it turns out you did have a freeze break, well, usually they're going to repair that for free because that means some water did get left behind somehow. And so it's just another reason to have a pro open your system and close it every year. Ann in Florida has reached out to Team Money Pit. Now, Ann says, I live in a second-floor condo of a three-story building. The neighbor next to me just discovered that she has black mold growing on several of her walls. I have walls that are adjacent to some of hers. Should I be worried? Yes. <laughs> I hate to say this, but mold does not respect any uh, any dividing walls between apartments or property lines. That's for sure. And if you live in a multifamily building and your neighbor has mold that's showing up on the inside of her apartment, chances are there may be some mold inside the walls. So, look, I wouldn't panic, but you definitely need to take some action. I would report this to the building super. I would report it in writing to make sure that you are covered, uh, and I would find out what they're going to do about it. And Generally, when you have mold that's growing, it has to be treated professionally, by the way, especially if it's in a multifamily building like that, and have a company come in and treat the mold so that you can kill it. And they'll also can do some investigation to see kind of how far it went. There's ways to inspect the insides of walls without destroying the walls. There are tools like there's one called a boroscope, where basically you drill a little hole in the wall and you can put a little camera in there and, and look around uh, all sides to see if you got mold. But you need to get to the bottom of this. Somewhere there's probably a moisture source. It could be a leak that started all this. But if you just kind of let it go, it's it's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse, and it could definitely make you sick. So I would take some action on this and make sure you report it to your building super, uh, to your management company, do it in writing, and, and find out what they're going to do about it. All right. I hope that helps you out, Ann. I can remember when they built this, like, sort of development in our town, um, some, there was an issue with the siding and it got all wet behind it and caused all kinds of black mold. So you definitely have to be on top of this and to make sure that you're safe and that you live a nice, long, healthy life at this place. 
All right. Now, Dave from Houston wrote in saying, we're having engineered wood flooring installed into our second floor bedrooms. What are the benefits and drawbacks of having it glued down or floating? And how about having something between the plywood and the floor? Anything else we should consider before the install? Well, first of all, when you buy the engineered wood flooring, it's going to be designed for one or the other type of installation, either floating or glued down. Personally, I love the floating floors. I find them really easy to work with. I've never had to worry about a floor that kind of released and, and got loose in any way. If, if, you, if you're wondering what we're talking about, so flooring today, a lot of it simply the planks lock together and then they float or rest on the floor and you leave a little bit of a gap at the perimeter of the wall, usually around a quarter to a half inch, and you cover that with molding. So if there's any expansion and contraction, uh, it, it's taken up by, by that gap. And um, I found that uh, it works really, really well. The only time I've ever actually glued the planks together is I haven't glued them to the floor. But if I had a spot, Leslie, where it might be like a really small piece of flooring and it was kind of like I was doing a laundry room once and I had to kind of work around some machines and I had very small pieces of flooring. In that case, I made sure not only did I use the self-click function, but I put uh, just a little bit of glue in there and make sure it would uh, secure it real well. But it never had to actually glue it down. Now, the old days used to glue the stuff down all the time, but I really don't see the reason to have that continuous bond. Uh, and in terms of anything underneath it, if the product's designed to be used with an underlayment, it might give you a little bit more cushion, perhaps a little more uh, sound resistance, but I would only add uh, another layer to it if I was working with the manufacturer's recommended products. All right, Dave, and there's so many great floors to choose from, so I know you're going to find something awesome for your house. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Thanks for spending a good part of your day with us. Uh, we are here to help you take on home improvement projects whenever you need to get them done. Remember, you can reach out to us by clicking the blue microphone button anytime at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone.